happened was there was a club explosion and nobody can deny that. There was a time when there were about, you know, 200 good comics and eight clubs for them to play in. And then suddenly there were 1600 clubs and still 200 good comics. Hey everybody and welcome to Top Fives with Don Sill. I'm your host Don Sill and we got another great Top Five in store for you today. It's a Top Five 80s boom comedians. Such a great decade for stand-up comedy and so many great comedians. We're talking legends, icons, all from one amazing decade. Joining me today is the hilarious comedian and writer Jim Mendrinos. He came up through the 80s boom, and he knows a thing or two about a thing or two about stand-up comedy. He even hung out with Sam Kinison and Bill Hicks. Doesn't get more 80s than that. I know I don't even really look like a comedian. I look more like a cross-country driver who kills hookers in truck stops. I know this. And as always, everybody, don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. We want to know what you think and what your top fives are. But without further ado, here we go with me and Jim Madrinos with the top five 80s comedians. All right, I am here with Jim Mandrinos. Jim, how's it going, man? Hey, pretty good. It's, uh, I, I think you might be the last Zoom of the pandemic. <laughs> I'm still going strong. <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing the Zoom thing. It's, it, it, you know, you can still reach people from all yeah. over the place a lot easier uh, and not in studio. But well, uh, I'll admit it's, uh, I, I'm glad I didn't have to drive into Long Island for this. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad I didn't have to. Right, right on. I'm so happy that you joined me for this because I know you're a stand up aficionado. You know a lot about the history of stand up comedy and all that stuff. And um, when it comes to the 80s boom, I oftentimes uh, think it's one of the most important decades of stand-up comedy maybe even more than like the 60s which was kind of like the changing of the guard and then the right. 70s when clubs started hop, uh, opening up but the 80s i think is really vital because it was a make or break decade so to speak it's kind of the decade that turned comedy from an art form into an industry it made us you know you know there was always stand-up comedy but there was never the stand-up comedy industry, like the music industry. And then in the 80s came, and we suddenly became the music industry. Exactly. And at, at some point, too, I think, with all the clubs that were opening up, and all, all there was a ton of comedians also that came about. And I felt like it was a time period where, especially in the early 80s, where everybody thought they couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Like, there was everybody was getting up on, on the stage in front of a brick wall and... and uh, uh, with a set and it was kind of watering it down a little bit it was uh we were celebrating like in in one sense mediocrity stand-up was starting to get watered down you're about to pull out bank robber he tied up the safe and blew the guard <laughs> well I, I i somewhat disagree with you on that one i think what happened was there was a club explosion and nobody can deny that there was a time when there were about you know 200 good comics and eight clubs for them to play it. And then suddenly there were 1,600 clubs and still 200 good comics. Um, but right. once the jobs opened up and people saw, oh my God, that's a viable art form, um, people did what they normally do with any expanding industry. You got good in a hurry, you know? And, and yes, there were a ton of really bad comics. I can't tell you how many times I'd be at the Comedy Zone in Tuscaloosa somewhere and you know, working with some guy that I literally, I'd be on the show with him going, I am never going to see this human being again. 
this this would be the only time that I will ever come across a human being. And more often than night, I was I was right. But it also because there was a barrage of stage time. Um, I, I was an, an anomaly. I started in '83 and I, I did the road and I worked in New York. Um, so there was a month, you know, in October of '85, long before I considered myself good, where I I did. 30 headline sets that month and i also did 60 city spots wow. that month wow so you're sitting there and you're going i got a lot of practice you get good in a hurry when you're on stage that much yeah that's the that's one of the beauties of it was there was so so many places to work but i think also what happened was like when i said about you know the mediocrity and all that i think that the all these other mediocre comedians that came about made it that much more uh, for the for better comedians to evolve and find new ways to to break out to the top, and they start to find different voices and try different things, different approaches, and you start to see a lot of comedians come go in places that uh, have never been done before them. My life is so fast. Comics working arenas, comics working, you know, gigs that nobody had the earthly right to do. I did a, a Christmas party in the 80s um, at NASA's command center in Cape Canaveral, Florida, where I'm on the floor where they <laughs> announced that people were on, on the moon. And they're like, I, this is unreal. You <laughs> That's know? awesome. Yeah. So you, you get you had some really good gigs opening up. You had some, some skill sets. We started doing corporate stuff in the 80s. Colleges were always there for comics since the 50s. But in the 80s, we started we started being corporate in the 80s. We started, you know, I started working church shows in the 80s. <laughs> and I should never work a church show, but they hired me, you know. So, I mean, you just started to go places. To me, the divide came when the comics stopped being the opening acts in Vegas and they became the headliners in Vegas. Right. That right. that was the paradigm shift. That was that was mid eighties. You know, there was always, you know, the outliers, the Dangerfield or or the Bill Cosby, you know, but you know, even guys like Carlin and Pryor had a tough time, you know, as a closing act in a casino. And now all of a sudden, you know, Richard Jenny closing casinos. Uh, it just all goes by so fast, doesn't it? One minute you're in high school, and the next minute you're watching your prostate like a hawk. Anybody who says these are the golden years can kiss my wrinkled ass, Buster. Right. <laughs> it's like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, it was it was a great time, and and that's what made this this particular top five extremely difficult because um, there's so many great comics that came out of the '80s, um, some that went on to become legends and icons, uh, others that just live fondly in, in my memories forever some that aren't with us anymore you know yeah. um like he's mentioned like richard jenny is a great example of that but um but yeah i mean uh, how was this for you coming up with this top five um it wound up being around 130 and then i, I had to keep culling it down and and like you could make an all-star team of guys that didn't make my list dice didn't make my top five you know, right, and right. he's clearly influential. Um, you know, Bernie Mac didn't make my top five, and he's clearly influential. Yes. You know, 
Um, Ronnie Shakes didn't make my top five, and he might be the be pound for pound the best comedy writer outside of Dangerfield. You gotta take things one day at a time. I don't know exactly what the future holds for me. Oh, I'm pretty sure it involves an observation tower and a high-powered rifle. Wow, you know, yeah. I mean, there's so many guys that, you know, were close in No Cigar, and I kind of had to put rules. So, you know, I wanted not only comics that were great in the 1980s, you had to be, you know, a good comic in the 1980s. You had to have a lasting legacy. Right, you know, okay. And, and, and I think you had to do something a little new with the art form to be on my list because there's an awful lot of guys that were great richard jenny is a great example of that he's great but there's nothing that differentiates him from a 70s comic or a 90s comic right you know, right uh stephen wright is is great but he's doing stuff that we'd seen in the 60s he just did it really well in the 80s so i, I wanted to also grab originators and that that helped me cull down the list but i'm, I'm looking here and and what was disappointing were my favorites weren't on this list like i you know starting in new york city one of the guys that kind of put me under his wing a little bit and treated me so nicely is long on comic named bob woods let me introduce myself here i am mr cholesterol the incredible bulk hungry jack a man called horse sir lunch a lot chef boy are you fat pizza on earth goodwill towards manicotti Rebel without a waistline, strawberry fields for breakfast, Lord of the Ringdings, the Earl of Sandwich, the Prince of Wales, and the Little House on the Prairie, all rolled into one. What can I tell you, folks? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and if you want to just talk getting laughs in a, in a set, <laughs> nobody that got laughs like Bob Woods. And he didn't make this list because he faded into obscurity, you know? And right, so yeah. It, it, it was a difficult list to put together. How about for you? It was very hard because I didn't know what, what like, the criteria that I w wanted either because I just kind of left it open-ended, 80s boom comedians. And when you think about the 80s boom, you're thinking, like, you know, everybody from, like, you know, like, from Roseanne, you know, who... who to me, yeah. it is uh, you know changed the game in the powerhouse. Uh, Kevin Meany, guys like that. Uh, Tim Allen. Um, yeah. th these are all Ellen DeGeneres. These are all Hell, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Eddie's uh, Eddie's actually made it on onto mine. But um, so yeah, that was where. So then I said to myself, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go with my my favorite comedians from the era. Comedians that that m meant something to me on a per personally you know so that's that's kind of how i took it because if i was to go if i was to weigh them out by stats and stuff like that I, it, it would be in, impossible because so many great comedians came out of there so yeah. and, and you know it's just such a great time that's the time period where i was really i was a you know a teenager through the 80s and uh that, that was when i felt really truly i always loved stand-up since i was like a little kid but that was when i was going you know going to clubs and getting to know the comics and becoming a real full-on nerd of comedy so all those 80s boom comics are all always near and dear to me i'm happy go lucky women call me plucky i don't care it's also hard for me because 
having started in 83, I have a relationship with so many people that I had to take off the list and a relationship with so many of the people I left on the list. You That's know, what's cool. It, yeah, and it, it's they're like, man, you know, because somebody someone, somewhere is going to hear this and go, you left me off the list. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a little conversation with people. And then with, there, there are those people that are absolutely 80s comics but didn't flourish to the 90s. Right. We have guys that we think of as 90s comics like Chris Rock and Colin Quinn. Those are 80s guys. You know, right. they 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 broke ground in the 80s. So yeah. it's it's a tough list. This is yeah. tough. It was tough too with some of the comics that started in the 70s, guys like Richard yeah. Belzer or something, and then you know merged yeah. through the 80s, but they really started the 70s. So I was kind of like um, on the fence with those as well. But um I can't wait to hear what you got. Let's uh you ready for uh to get going with this? Yeah, let's get going. All right. So what's your number five, Jim? Um well my number five is somebody that I don't even think probably crossed your radar. Um, but we wouldn't have alternative comedy without her. And that's Paula Poundstone. Oh, love Paula Poundstone. Yeah, and um, I remember her on the Young Comedian special that aired from the Green Street Cafe. I believe that was the 1984 one, um, where she went, uh, just her opening line of, uh, I just got my hair cut and now it won't do what I want it to do. I want it to type. Look at this. How long has that been like that? <laughs> what if we have to start this whole show over again because of that? People will behoove you to be a little bit more vigilant. I ain't that something my hair involved in an unauthorized activity. Um, and I just remember her hitting that line and absurdist humor was, there was very little absurdist humor in comedy since the time of Lord Buckley. And certainly there hasn't been a female absurdist comedian, you know, in forever. And, you know, her and Stephen Wright came out and I know Stephen Wright's a little more popular with it, but that that launching pad and then her crowd work, oh, the yeah. elevation of crowd work like an art form, probably the number two crowd work comic of all time behind the Jimmy Brogan, but Jimmy Brogan's solidly a 70s guy. So you're sitting here going, okay, the influential, doing something women don't do, just really great at what she does, you know? And, and I think people, you know, with the scandal and everything, people forget how how influential she was. There would have been no Roseanne without Paula Poundstone. There would have been no Brett Butler without Paula Poundstone. And both of those are two monster comics. Right. But somebody had to pave the way. And and she has a long lasting legacy. Let's get out, let's all go someplace all at once. You know, like a 7-Eleven or something. All of us, all at once. Just act like it's a complete coincidence. They're just having a rush. I love Paula Poundstone. Always been a fan of hers. Um, I love her delivery, her stage presence, everything about her. She's an original all the way through. Still to this day, when you look at her, just her demeanor, the way she dresses, uh, her, her cadence on uh, her joke delivery, all that stuff. Um, and I always loved her bit that I, the first time I ever heard it, I was in, literally in tears laughing. Uh, it was about the, the Pop-Tarts, how yes. uh, her whole Pop-Tart bit. <laughs> and then, this is what happens to me. I open the first pouch and I eat one tart and I enjoy it very much, as naturally would. <laughs> and then I feel, well, I have to eat the second one or it will go stale. 
Well, now I've eaten two and it's no longer just a snack, it's a meal. I figure I may as well eat two more. <laughs> and then she's like, you know, before you know it, she ate the whole box of them. It, it's just genius. And, uh, and, and she is super clever, like you said. And uh, kind of right there in the pocket with with like a Stephen Wright, the way she writes, the the way the the, the way she thinks, not not in delivery or anything, but in this, the, like if it was all on paper, it would look the same as as Stephen Wright, I think. Yeah, and I mean there there were like three comics that really had that style. It was her, it was Stephen Wright, and A. Whitney Brown. That's a nice metaphor. I love metaphors. They just come to me like. <laughs> Yeah. They all started around the same time, and I think she's just a little better than the other two, just by a whisper than the other two. Although I'm more of an A. Whitney Brown fan, yeah. you know, but I, I think she just narrowly edged him out. Right, and A. Whitney Brown, I think, I think they, they, they the two of them dress similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and their tweets are still similar. Yeah, <laughs> you follow them. Yeah. Good, great, great pick, man. I love Paula. Um, for me, my number five is is also a um, a great comic for, from that, uh, from obviously from the '80s era. Uh, she's known as the Love Goddess, and this is Judy Tenuta. <laughs> yeah. Strong pick. Yeah, absolutely I, uh... strong pick. Thanks. Yeah, I uh, as a kid, I had the biggest crush on Judy Tenuta, uh, with her the accordion and everything, and her attitude. And then she would like spit her gum in the audience and all that stuff. And uh, she was just this in-your-face uh, kind of uh, half insult, half observation. Uh, yeah. And and she was just was just awesome. And and uh, to me, she epitomizes the '80s comedy scene for some reason in my head like yeah. she's one of the first people i think the 80s i think of her you know today i was in the park breastfeeding the pigeons <laughs> i'm the earth mother i want to give she um i got to see her early in my career uh at um at the old Carolines, and I'm not—I'm talking the first one, the one on Eighth Avenue in the wow. 20s. Wow! Uh, and, and it was her, and she was opening for another comedian called Pudgy. I don't know if you remember Pudgy. Yeah, I remember uh, the name for sure. Uh, Pudgy was a female Don Rickles. I mean, it, it was—it <laughs> was just almost, almost a rip off. Do you not agree? I mean, people are funny, are you, correct, sir? Oh, can you? You're like a hemorrhoid. You don't loosen up at all. I mean, come on. Uh, and and I, I just saw, you know, Judy Tenuta. And then about six months later, I saw the tour she did with Emo. And that tour, the Judy Tenuta Emo Phillips tour was just mind boggling. It, it literally was the closest you could get to taking acid and going out the end of the show <laughs> without actually taking the acid. That is a perfect pairing for, for a bill. Oh, yeah. Judy and Emo, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a wonderful tour. That's awesome, man. Oh, and he says to me, he says, Judy, says, Judy, says, Judy. He had an accordion, too. Yes. Right, so who, who do you got for number four, Jim? 
Um, I went really obscure for number four. Um, I, I don't believe he made it out of the 80s. He might have died in the early 90s, but uh, Rick Aviles. Wow, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, um, he did everything Freddie Prince did in the 70s and turned it up a notch. Uh, demons like you cannot imagine. But I've never seen a more pure performer in my life. Him and the guy I have at number three are the two most pure performers I've ever seen. Um, and, and the thing with Ricky Villas was Ricky Villas was confrontational with his audience. It wasn't like he was friendly with them. It really was. I mean, up until, you know, I saw Rick, I, I, I saw comics that really wanted to make the audience their friend. And Rick just bitch slapped the audience you know i was thinking about things to talk about and we do all have roaches i mentioned that before on another show even the rich except they call theirs roches um he's got a lasting legacy with with I, i'm sorry but most of the latino comics are basically lip-syncing bits that he used to do right yeah know? yeah and you know his, his stuff was original it was unique he was great on film as well you know um unfortunately not as much tape survived of rick because he did as much acting as he did stand-up so you've got a lot more acting tape on rick than you do stand-up tape but i i, I worked a weekend with him at grandpa's on staten island um, which was not a nice room and the audience was heckling him saying horribly racist shit Damn. And he ended by doing a Shakespearean monologue that wasn't even funny. And then just said, thank you and good night. I mean, it was that confrontational to the audience. Yeah. I, I think I seen, I, th I believe I seen him. Um, did he ever open up for Jackie the Joke Man? I feel he like, I, times, yeah. yeah, I seen him in, in Bayshore open up for Jackie Joke Man. And uh, he, he wasn't on, on the set that I saw him on. He wasn't confrontational, but he was funny. And, um, and like you said, I I, I recognized him from the movies. I think he was in like Ghost and yep. movies like that. He was like the bad guy. Oh yeah. He killed Patrick Swayze, man. He did. <laughs> and, and for that alone, he should be on the list. Just take the money. Just leave us. No, who's here? You son of a bitch! But that alone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly no that's great man like like you said um I, i'm glad you mentioned a guy like him because you know these are the kind of comics that that kind of go under the radar like you said and, and people yeah. if people do remember who he is they'll they'll might more remember that him from his acting and from ghost and yeah. and uh other parts and, and they won't realize that he was a, a comedian who who was combative and he was just good at what he did. I'm, uh, I'm a native New Yorker, which means I have an attitude, yes. Everybody has an attitude in New York, even the winos. Come here, you, you, come on. Come on, you bastard, give me a quarter. Just the performance was just... Yeah, I, as a comic, sometimes you, you watch another performer and you just go, I, I wish I had that talent. Just that particular talent. I, there's not a joke he ever wrote that I was envious of. There's not anything he ever did on stage that I was there like, man, I wish I wrote that. But his stage presence 
the command that man had, he literally would walk on the stage and everybody's eyeballs just shifted to wherever he was. That's the, that's talent. That's not even a skill. That's talent. That's that's the magic that you can't yeah. teach. That you know what I mean. Like nobody could could have that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like to, to have that kind of uh, presence is 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 huge. And I'm glad, uh, like I said, that you mentioned him, Rick Aviles, right? Yep, Rick Aviles. Excellent. Man, this is great. So well, it wasn't easy for me growing up in New York, being a Puerto Rican who couldn't speak Spanish. <laughs> Good, you laugh for. <laughs> The only Spanish I ever heard was at night. Half hour after my mom tucked me in, I heard her in the next room with dad going, Hi. Hi, Bobby. My, my number four is kind of obscure, too. Um, in a way. Not, maybe not as, as obscure as Rick Avila's, but to me, this guy um, meant something to me because at the time, he's maybe a couple of years older than me, and he was the young guy that broke on the scene, and he was doing raps and stuff. And this is Barry Sobel. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I always loved Barry Sobel. You know, he, uh, the King Kong balls. I thought you said ping pong balls. And, uh, and he was this kind of frat boy style hip hop, you know, I'm not the beastie boys or run DMC. And he had that whole rap he got, or some comedian named Shecky, I'm the motherfucking king of. So anyway, so he would go on and do all that stuff. And um, I'm the king of jokes. There is none more funny. If this is Las Vegas, you'd be throwing money. Yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I remember it like it's yesterday. I'm a stand-up comic. Well, that's my line. And I'd like to know your zodiac. Z-z-z-zodiac. Z-z-z-zodiac. Z-z-z-zodiac, son. Yeah, man. And, and it was... Such an underrated writer, too. Yeah. I mean, his bit his bit on stereotypes. Oh, it, man. It, uh, you know... Fine, a black man's butt isn't higher up than a white man's butt. All Asian people drive well. I mean, just the jokes were just amazing. You're right. A lot of Irish people are not completely drunk. All right, fine. You win. Jewish people are constantly picking up a check. Okay, fine. You're right. Chinese people are excellent drivers. Fine. He was great, man. And and like, for me, he's another one when I think '80s. Boom, I think him and you know he's still around I don't know if he still does stand up much but he's still he he's, yeah, he's still active I know I see I'm um, like on Facebook and stuff and um, but and, and he's the guy that taught Tom Hanks how to do stand up <laughs> is this the most exciting thing to make a movie about arm wrestling <laughs> you, know, you know you can bet this bald guy is going to get Stallone over like this at some point you know and then you're gonna, they're going to have the thing for the movie punchline he coached them up and when you watch uh punchline it, as bad as a movie as it was but when you do see tom hanks performing stand-up you could see barry sobel <laughs> you could see it yeah. in the, the delivery and everything um but yeah i i think uh yeah, Barry Sobel's one of those that that meant something to me, especially as a kid, because he was this young guy that was doing it, and I and I was just like, I could do this too. Like this guy's awesome, you know. So it was it was one of those type of things because at that time there wasn't a lot of young people no. really doing it. He was like he was like the young guy at the time. So 
Yeah, that's a really fun choice. And, and you know what? I don't think a lot of people would have him on the list. You know, it, and when I was I was making my list, he was one of those people I had, but I'm there like, just didn't make the top five for me, but can't argue with that choice. Uh, you have to understand that I'm a generic white comedian. I headline comedy clubs all around the country, and I kill. And, uh, you know, I make observations. I say things like, hey, who are those guys? You know, like in a 7-Eleven, it's really expensive, but the guy behind the counter isn't from this country? What's the second bit? Yeah. All right, so so now we're, we're moving along here. So let me write this down, Barry Sobel. All right, so now we're at, we're already at number three. Yeah. Um, so who's, who do you got for number three? Number three is the saddest story ever in the history of comedy. Um, and, and I'm going to give you a little prequel. I was going to put Eddie Murphy at number three. Um, that's, that's where I was going to put him. Uh, and, and spoiler alert, Eddie didn't make my top five. Um, <laughs> uh, instead, I, I put the person who actually indirectly gave him his break, and that's Charlie Barnett. Charlie Barnett was... Uh, People remember him from Miami Vice. People remember him from a lot of things. He actually got cast on Saturday Night Live, and because he could not read the prompter, he got fired Damn. and gave it to Eddie Murphy. Wow. Um, so indirectly, he has a big part in Eddie Murphy's uh, legacy. But Charlie, Charlie was the person that made this so that this was not an upper scale art form. You had hints of it before. You had people like Freddie Prinze before, who was definitely, you know, on the poorer side. But Charlie was one of these people that, no. Like, when you saw Charlie, it was equally likely that the man spent the night in a four-star hotel or he spent the night on a park bench. And you knew he was comfortable either place. I like pocketbooks, too. Hi, honey. Don't worry. Don't worry. This is a fucking joke. This is a fucking joke. Thanks for giving to the United Negro College Fund. <laughs> the police are coming. <laughs> um, I, I saw him do things that I've never seen another human being do. Um, I saw him at the comic strip uh, one day, upset that they were only paying him $50 for a, a, a spot, uh, start a joke, and then, you know, stop it in the middle of it and take his hat up and say, you want to hear the end of that joke? You need to fill this hat. And he passed it around. And by the time it got back wow. to him, it was friggin' overflowing. Wow. Um, I, I saw him uh, and Otto and George do street comedy in Washington Square Park. I mean, everything about him was amazing. Brilliant performer. He is a clinic on timing, performance, and connection with the audience. All those things that say this can never be taught, you can learn it watching Charlie. A 90 foot wide, well named Moby Dick. Shit, I'll show you what a fucking Moby Dick really looks like. Wow. Um, it, better performer than Eddie, in my opinion. Better comedian than Eddie. Probably not as good an actor as Eddie. Eddie's definitely a better actor. But <clears throat> when it came down to making the list, I'm there like, man, do I, do I take it away from Charlie because. You know, not a lot of people have heard of album outside the 80s. Or do I give it to him? Because in the 80s, man, if you had to pick one act in the 80s you did not want to follow on stage, 
it might be Charlie. Yo, what's up, man? You want to buy a watch? No, I don't need nothing. No, I bought a pair of glasses, my no, man. I don't, I don't need glasses. No, 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 I don't need up? nothing. I got plenty of watches, hey, man. Hey, look, why don't you just take a walk, OK? I'm not in the mood for this. Okay. What's your problem, hey, I'm man? I'm sick and tired of guys like you doing this stuff to me, all right? Well, yeah, well, I got what, my what own problem. What am I doing to you, man? What do you mean, what are you what doing to me? I got my own problem. I'm right. Fuck about I got a dog problem. that's what got me and don't, don't hurt to me. Let me tell you something, bunny. I'm getting out of here. I'm getting out of here. Why don't you What are you got? I was on the plane, man. You got a problem? Get out! Chill out, man. Yo, man, I was... Man, goddamn! Yo, man, goddamn! Chill out! Oh, shit! <laughs> That's great. And I, I wonder if uh, through the years if Eddie ever acknowledged as Charlie Barnett or, or anything like that. But it's it's crazy that it comes down to a teleprompter. His like, you know, like you, you always hear these stories about people's careers, make or break moments. And when it comes down to a friggin' teleprompter, um, it just it, it, who would have, could have, should have. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah. If he would have got I mean, on. If. Charlie had the parents that Eddie had, you know, and, and were, you know, he was forced to focus in school like Eddie was. What would he have been? You know, right, I mean? right, right, yeah. Definitely had the charisma, you know, and that the drug addiction did not help him. Yeah, yeah of course. And where is, is Charlie still with us? Where is he now? No, Charlie passed away many, many years ago. Um, uh, I believe both uh, Charlie and Rick both passed of, of AIDS from IV drug use. Oh man, so that's a long time ago. The '80s got a lot of comics to drugs. Yes, exactly. That was the the time. I feel like in the '90s they started, throughout the '90s, not immediately, but they started you, cleaning up a little bit and you like know the what? debauchery. I'm looking, my, I'm looking at my list. I, of my entire list, Paul is the only one that's alive. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. That says a lot, right, about the 80s. Someone needs to check on Paula now. <laughs> check on Paula, make sure she's okay. Let's give her a call. Uh, I just uh, want to check the woman for safety. Look at that. There's a big vent up there. You know that's for? That's if this building flips over and then floods. <laughs> so which could happen because the other day my flight was on time and I found my luggage. So some weird shit has been happening. Uh, you know, I'm loving this. This is what's so great about having you, you doing this is because you, you're you're showing us different acts that, that like you said that most people wasn't on their radar so this is fantastic uh for me um my number three is one of my all-time favorite comedians um because of what he meant when i was growing up and what he meant when i was younger he's a, it was like a guy from long island who was on johnny carson and and he just did all the stuff and he was hilarious and he was on the Rodney Dangerfield special and uh, and, and this is uh, Bob Nelson to me Bob Nelson will always have a special place because he was the, the first comedian that I ever realized was from like the ne next neighborhood over from where I grew up and so I knew holy shit like we, this can happen people can do this like you know and then he was also one of the first comedians I ever met person and he was, I loved his set on, on you know, the Rodney Dangerfield special, that set holds up. That's still the set people oh, yeah. talk about to this day. <laughs> oh, first I want to show you my grandmother. <laughs> I 
A lot of people get upset when I do that, but if you saw my grandmother, you'd say, that's her. <laughs> yeah, obviously, we all know Bob right now is struggling and, and uh, you know, trying to pay his uh, uh, medical bills and all that stuff. So, you know, if people can go over to his his uh, GoFundMe and help him out, that would be fantastic as well. But but I've always loved Bob Nelson. I got to meet him a bunch of times, interview him a bunch of times. Um, always a stand-up guy um, and hilarious. innovated within an old school style. He definitely, of everyone we've mentioned on the list, he's probably the most traditional, most old school comic that we've mentioned so far. You can make a direct line between him and as you said, Red Skelton. You can actually make, um, and I've had the conversation with Bob, uh, Ernie Kovacs, a oh, big yeah. influence on him. Yes, you I know. can see that, yeah. <laughs> you can't trust the Davy. But you never know because they say David won't tell. <laughs> and, and so what he had, um, and it wasn't just him. It was all it was a lot of the Long Island guys from that era of the 80s. Him, Woods, Bartlett, um, uh, Richie Minervini. What they had was a passion for the craft. What yeah. they had was a willingness to get up on stage and work a bit and work it and work it and work it and work it and try and make it great. And, and you know, I I'm literally saw Bob Nelson evolve a bit over the course of three or four years. And it just kept getting longer and longer and longer because the hallmark of Bob is he loves long bits. Football in my life. I love football. You can be playing football on the football field with a football. <laughs> You know, if Bob starts a bit, you sit down, grab a beer. You're gonna be there a while. You know, <laughs> especially the bird one. Oh bird. man, man. <laughs> I love you. Oh, you love me? Yeah, I love you very, 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 very much. Well, you know, you are kind of cute. Wow. You like that, don't you? Don't stop. Oh. And um, when he when he first moved out in the early 2000s uh, to Bramson, uh, you know, and he was doing the shows out in Bramson, I thought that that is such a perfect place for him because he's also a very strong man of faith. He, he He's a beautiful human being on top of being a great comic, which that, it, you've been around comedy long enough to know that's a rarity. Yeah. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> True, D. Um, but he, I think he suffered from the fact that he kept to himself a lot. Whereas most of the other comics, everybody on our list so far has been incredibly social. No, Bob's set was over. Where's Bob? Not in the club, man. He took his money. He's home. He's got a family. He's with <laughs> right. them. Right, you know? right, yeah. And I, I think his career suffered a little bit from that because in the eighties, it was a party atmosphere and everyone right. was expected to socialize. But it, I, I love what he did. Um, and always wondered how come he never made the transitions to movies. You know, and, and don't don't talk right of PI. <laughs> he never made the transition into real movies because he should have. He's that good. His characters were that good. 
He was. I thought he was on his way with like kindergarten cop and all that. Oh, got going on there. And uh, a little something I cooked up myself for you. Henry, I almost didn't recognize you with all your clothes on. You know, you look pretty good yourself. <laughs> the leg, the leg. Uh, I, I'm sorry. You know, he definitely had it, and, and I wish he would have uh, been able to to uh, take that leap in, in, into major films. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and you know, and like to this day, we're still everyone still does his bits. Which now I don't even know if you if I could do them without getting canceled if I did the voices. Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, I, I, there's almost none of his act that would be PC right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the irony because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All yeah, right. So. But but if anybody is listening, and I, I I hate to hijack this show for a few seconds, if you got even five dollars, donate to Bob. He's going through a really rough time, and he brought so many laughs to so many people. So if you got it to spare, you know. Send it over. It'll do a world of good. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Bob's a great guy and deserves it. Uh, all the help he can get. Thank you very much. All right. So now we are moving along to number two. We're already at number two. Um, so who's your number two pick? Net, this is where it got hard because now we're, we're clearly leaving people off. Uh, and I rotated like so many honorable mentions in here. Seinfeld was in here, wound up not making the top five. How the fuck does Seinfeld miss the top five? But he missed the top five. Leno was in here briefly and he missed the top five. Robin Williams made it in here for a while. But then I said he's more of a 70s guy. Let's move him on to, you know, hopefully one day he'll bring me back and we'll do the 70s, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, and and just sitting here going, okay, who, who do I have here? Um, and I actually, and, and this is full disclosure, I may be biased on this pick because this was one of the people I met very early in my career, one of the first people to take me under his wing and, and take me on tours with him. Uh, and it's somebody that I considered a good friend until the day he died, and that was Sam Kennison. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and uh, to me, Kennison turned comedy into rock and roll. And, you know, everyone wants to credit Dice for that. No, it was Sam that turned comedy into rock and roll. Dice may have gotten the, those big arenas, but the excitement, the buzz when a comic walked on stage, that was that was all Sam. You know, I don't have a home. I don't have a car. I didn't eat yesterday. I had to borrow these clothes. She took it off! <laughs> I was married for two years! I don't have any support but a primal scream! Ah! Ah! Um, his appearance in Back to School was... Oh, classic. Just epic, you know? Um, I say it! Say it! It, it! The first the first appearance he had on The Letterman Show changed the way television's been done forever. You do me a favor? If you ever think... You want to get married if you ever think you've met the right woman. You want to settle down. You want to get a house. You want to get a car. Maybe raise a family. Do me a favor, will you, Lou? Remember this face. Ah! Ah! Remember it, Lou. Remember that face. Ah! 
and that that aggressive in your face you know take no prisoners oh my god that that was it was everything You see this? Huh? This? This is sand. Yeah. It's sand. You know it's going to be 100 years from now, huh? It's going to be sand! You live in a fucking desert! Get your kids, get your shit, we'll make one trip! We'll take you to where the food is! Um, some of my first spots, and oddly the way we became friends, I was working at the comic strip, and he would come into the comic strip and perform. And on the, the weekends, Friday and Saturday, they put the strongest performer at the end, which is always where he was. But on the weeknights, Sunday through Thursday, they put the strongest performer smack dab in the middle of the show. And that was oh. reserved for Bolster, for Wolfberg. Um, and then when Sam came, that was Sam's spot. So he would be in the middle of the show and everyone who was on after him would call him sick. You know, who's <laughs> on I can't make it. Um, and I, I was brand spanking new. And Lucian would literally just throw me up after him, you know, just because somebody has to die, you might as well take the bullet. <laughs> so, um, and it was a great way for me to learn because it is a sink or swim moment. Um, but it also caught Sam's eye because, you know, at one point he turned to me and goes, you're not intimidating girl, not after me. And I'm there like, I'm just grateful for the spot. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I'm young, I'm stupid, and I just want to perform, you know, and, and but just watching what he would do to an audience the first time I saw him, my first time seeing him on stage at the comic strip, they used to, on a set on a Sunday night, have a three-piece band that would play you up. Three-piece band plays him up. He gets introduced as a comic from out of town. Uh, you know, please be nice to him. Uh, you know, Sam, Sam Kennedy, he walks on stage. He's got a long trench coat on. He's got glasses. He has a cane as he's getting on stage, gets on stage. He starts playing piano with the piano player and jamming just jamming with the piano like a four minute solo to start it at one point Damn. the piano player got up and left and left him alone on the piano he finishes the band goes off everyone's going crazy and he goes uh unlike the other performers you've seen here tonight i'm a little bit different and he takes off his glasses and his eyes are rolled up in the back of his head he goes because i'm blind and the audience gasps and then he puts him back on and he goes, I don't want any special treatment from you guys. Let's just get this out of the way. Can somebody heckle me? Just somebody heckle me so that you, you understand I'm a real kid. And somebody heckled him and then for five minutes just laid into him. Oh, you heckled the blind guy. You're a big brave dude. Heckling the blind. Just destroyed him. <laughs> Audience is now rolling. He takes off his glasses. He looks at him and goes, I'm not really blind, but looking at you guys now, I wish to God I was. <laughs> That's classic. I'm just sitting there through the first 10 minutes and it was just like, it was like watching a fighter pin somebody up against a corner and just hit him repeatedly. It literally was, I, I'm a big boxing fan. It was like watching the Larry Holmes, uh, Marvis Frazier fight. It was, it was three shots to get him in the corner and then just turning around to the referee going, you need to stop. You need, I'll hit yeah. again, but you need to stop this. Yeah, just a beating. Yeah, and that's, I, he, he assaulted the audience in a way that I've never seen before. And, and probably the reason why he's number two on the list and not number one, in a way I've never seen again. You know, right, right. nobody, nobody can replicate what he does. People try, people try all the time. You know, Rick Shapiro tried, but you, you right, can't. Right. You know, it, it, he is what he is, and he's the only one who is what he is.
Yeah, Sam is, is a true juggernaut and uh, obviously changed the game and uh, and changed what stand-up could be, you know, in a lot of ways. Like you said, he, he, he brought rock and roll to it. He brought edge danger to it. Uh, Dice did too, and they both came up together. But I think Sam, the difference between Dice and Sam, I think, is that Dice was a character, self-proclaimed will tell you that. Yeah. And Sam was a real guy, and you know that, you know him, right? Oh, like, so yeah. Did you ever get to hang out with him behind the scenes, like after oh, yeah. hours? Oh, man, he used to sleep on my couch. Wow. Uh, early, we used to work at a club called the Home Bar, ninety <coughs> first and second. It's a mob mob club, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell this story because it's one of my favorite stories. Um, I'm drinking there one night, and it's me, Sam, and his friend from Texas, Bill Hicks. Oh wow! And, and we're drinking, and after two o'clock, they would close all the shades. It was an after hours club. Four o'clock, they shepherd everyone out of the after hours club. And the owner, who's, who's a mobster, looks at me, looks at Sam, looks at Bill. And, and I'm at this time, I'm 20. I'm not even supposed to be in there. <laughs> uh, he looks at me and goes, you're the most responsible one. Here's the keys. Lock up when you're done. Wow. Uh, and then the three of us were slamming tequila until all hours of the night. Um, Holy. Sam used to, if he was too drunk to get to, he used to really crash at Eddie Feldman's house. Eddie was the one that kind of just took care of him. Say, but when he was too drunk to get there because Eddie lived on the west side, he'd come over and, and sleep it off at my house for a couple of hours. We got to my house around 6.30 in the morning. Sam fell asleep on the couch. My mother gets up to work at 7.30 in the morning. My mother was staunchly Christian. Like, you could not get more religious. Like, she donated money to the church. She's on the wall of the church, St. Margaret's <laughs> Church in, in New York as a donor. I mean, just, just crazy religious. Uh, she wakes up, Sam pops up on an hour of sleep, like he just slept 15 hours. <laughs> you know, this Madrino's like, you so much for extending your home to me. Your son's very funny. You know, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, can I make you some coffee while you get ready? He made her coffee. He made her breakfast. He sat and chatted with her while she was off to work. He did this five or six times to the point where my mother had only come to see me live once. She made a point to go see Sam. And I told her, you're going to hate what he does. You are going to hate what he does. And she's there like, no, I won't. And she went and she, she freaking loved him. Wow. I mean, he, he, he was, yeah, he was charming on every level when he wanted to be. wrote this song. It goes like this. You fucking whore. You use me. You never love me. Wow, what a great number two pick. Sam Kinison, the legend. Um, for me, my, num my number two is probably the, op the almost a complete opposite of a Sam Kinison, maybe. And that is uh, Jerry Seinfeld. So, Jerry, you know, got his, his start right there in, at the uh, comic strip uh, in, in the city. Um, very smart, observational, kind of um, polished type of a guy. 
which is, you know, like I said, the opposite of like a Sam who was kind of like, you know, just came out in a trench coat and the hat and just yeah. ah, the bandana and everything where Jerry's more buttoned up. Did you ever notice that this? And he's got the observational style. Um, he's got like a little bit of arrogance to him. Um, and this is before the show and everything. This is just when he was just doing regular stand up. He always kind of carried himself with that air of yeah. arrogance. <laughs> This is a great crowd. I'm doing all right. Um, but to me, he's one of the greatest comedy writers, uh, stand-up comedy. He's a wordsmith. He's his uh, sense of timing, his um, and rhythm, and the words uh, are flawless in that regard. Uh, you know, and, and to me, he's just one of the the greats that really came out and and uh, of that. 80s boom and and he affected so many people in going forward even to today people still trying to kind of be like that seinfeld-esque type character and i think that's the most important thing about these shows you go to a show you're just not home that's it you want to go out isn't that the feeling how many times do you feel that you feel that you know that i gotta get out right i gotta get out and you go out you stand around somewhere for a little while and you go i gotta be getting back <laughs> I've been out, I've got to get back, I've got to go to sleep, I've got to get up, I've got to go out again tomorrow. Here's kind of what ultimately knocked him out of my top five. Um, and and it, it's a great pick, you can't deny it. There's two reasons why I got knocked out of my top five. His major influence came in the 90s with the TV show. That's, that's when, that's his major influence. He wasn't influencing comics in the 80s. Nobody wanted to be like Jerry in the 80s you know right, it, was, right. it was the 90s um skilled skilled beyond belief and dear god what a fucking wordsmith dear god this man writes the hell out of a joke man it's true men hear a drill it's like a dog whistle just <laughs> you know they go running up to that living room curtain honey i think jim's working on something over there but he doesn't write enough of them he spent right. 20 years doing the same 65 minutes. Right. 20 right. years. Whereas you would watch somebody like a Steve Martin who'd turn over material every three months. You'd watch somebody like, a, you know, a, a George Carlin. It's Carlin. a new hour every year. Yeah. Period. Um, and, and just Jerry didn't do that. He was very old school. And I got this hour. It's perfected. If you come see me. In 1982, you will see this hour. You come see me in 1992, you will see this hour. <laughs> Don't live in Long Island, you live on Long Island. Long Island is not one of those places you can't get in it. We're gonna get on the train. We don't get in the train. Why do you get on? So you can get off it. You don't get on the cab. You get in the cab. What do you do with Uber? Do you get in it? No. You take Uber. <laughs> and, yeah. and it didn't kind of change till the TV show finished. And, and and that that was that was all the other people on on the list just gobs of material and even sam four albums in, in you know what essentially was a six-year career and jerry was one and and that i think that that's the only reason why he got knocked out of my top five you can't argue with the impact and especially if we're gonna add the tv show to it he should probably be number one but you know i just want it that creative mind, I would have liked to have seen him talk about more shit during the course of his career. I, I do agree with you now, like in hindsight, first, like uh, with the show 
breaking in the 90s and that's really what catapulted him to to suit to stardom uh even but even when he was in the 80s boom he 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 was uh in one of the rodney specials also yeah and i noticed him from there i didn't even realize he was a long island guy there but i always liked him he had the dryer the sock in the dryer bit where does the sock go because socks socks think about it, they hate their lives they do. They're in the shoe. They're in the drawer. They hate it. He waits for the dryer. That's his chance, and he knows it. He was in the same one as Bob Nelson, uh, Sam Kennison, Jerry Seinfeld, and uh, the headliner of that one was Roseanne. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, if you think about it, that's the whole 80s boom in a package right there. Yeah. <laughs> Just that you can one. almost take that special. <laughs> yeah. That one. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a testament to Rodney too for just uh, d discovering, you know, and having an eye for the, the, all these greats that, that that he helped launch. But um, but yeah, no, I see what you're saying about Seinfeld, and I do too. I, I you know, he was so such a great wordsmith and um, observational guy that you and, and when you watch his show now, you know, uh, coffee, uh, comics, and all that. Cars, cars, coffee. cars get a coffee. Yeah, yeah. When, when you watch that show and you see him kind of riffing, you can see it's there. Like he still yeah, yeah. thinks that way. It's just like you said. I wish he would have uh, had had more of a repertoire of, of stand up, you know, uh, in the earlier days. Yeah, that would have been yeah. that would have been great. So I'm from Long Island. Parents live on Long Island. Uh, Thirty years, something like that. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's. Way too much applause, really. It's just... And uh, and now it's time for the big one, the number one. Yep. Who do you got, Jim? Um. <clears throat> okay. So this is somebody whose impact grows. Like he has more fans now than he did in the 1980s, uh, and he has more influence <clears throat> now than he did 25 years ago. And that's Bill Hicks. Yes. Um, there's there's a once in a generational comic uh, that comes along, and by the way, everybody who told told me they love Hicks in the '80s, I I, I knew Bill. I toured with Bill. You're full of shit. Because I have something I want to tell you, and I'm glad you've all conglomerated here tonight. <laughs> Save me some breath. If people loved him as much as as they said they did, he wouldn't have been over in England for for the late '80s, early '90s. He'd have been here. Um, no, what you love was you love listening to Dennis Leary water down his bits. That's what you love. <laughs> I not only smoke now, I make noise when I do it. I go. <laughs> All right, just be honest and, and just say that he was a little too much for you. Um, Non-smokers die every day. <laughs> Sleep tight. Look, it's not for everybody. And sometimes the great comedy isn't. Lenny Bruce wasn't for everybody. Mort Saul wasn't for everybody. Uh, I adore Lord Buckley, not for everybody. I claim that all ladies and gentlemen are lords and ladies. Were it not to be so in calculi, the king and queen could not sit their throne. For it's very obvious that the Empire State Building can be built on the frog patch. And if the sphere swings, the first five floors must have the ruby windows. <laughs> You know, all I asked him was what his name was. <laughs> you know, uh, again, it's not meant to be for everybody. Comedy's meant to be specific. Um, but you can't argue. There would be 
you know, no Louis C.K. if not for him. There oh, would be sure. no Bill Burr if not for him. You know, I can point to 30 guys who are today's pantheon. Hell, there'd be no Chris Rock if not for, you know, a, a Bill Hicks. Because uh, you can see if Bill, Chris Rock was talking about Miles Davis is so black. And then all of a sudden you see Bill Hicks and you go, oh, I can talk about some real shit. The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round. It has thrills and chills and it's very brightly colored and it's very loud and it's fun for a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever because this is just a ride and we kill those people. <laughs> Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. And, and the impact is, the impact is the Mount Rushmore kind of impact to me. You know, you talk every once in a while, not favorites, but people that have impacted this art form in a way that changed it forever. And Will Rogers changed the art form forever. Yes. You know, Lenny Bruce changed the art form forever. Number three on that Mount Rushmore is Bill Hicks. Supreme Court says pornography is any act that has no artistic merit and causes sexual thoughts. That's their definition. No artistic merit causes sexual thoughts. Hmm. Sounds like almost every commercial on TV to me. You know, when I see those two twins on that Double Mint commercial, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this. Uh, I ain't thinking about gum. Double your pleasure. Double that fun. Yeah, honey, where's the Wrigley's? <laughs> he changed this art form forever. Undeniably changed it forever. You know, and, and it's surprising to me that, you know, when you listen to the bits now, and this is because I went back and I started listening to the stand-up again, just so I go, okay, I don't, I don't want to be the old guy that's speaking about nostalgia. Right, the right. bits have more resonance now than they did in '88. You know, yeah, rant in e, e minor. It sounds like it was written about Trump. We killed six innocent people launching 22, I think, three million dollars a piece missiles on Baghdad, killing six innocent people. Um, I think that's a little bit overdoing it, if you ask me. Um, you know what we should have done? We should have embarrassed the Iraqis. You know what I mean? Here's how we can do it. We should have assassinated Bush. <laughs> he said, that's how you do it, Calvin. Don't fuck with us. I mean right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it does stand up. And it's, it, uh, and it's crazy to me, too. Like I think about it, I'm like, how old is like when I watch this stuff? I'm like, how yeah. long ago was this? Because it feels like it's still relevant. It still holds, and and you know, also with Bill Hicks, also like you said, um, people didn't. I think he was ahead of his time in a way, or didn't get oh, yeah. the right exposure or something. Because like you said, he, he didn't have the fan base he should have had in, in the '80s. Because now you look at how important he was and how revered he is, and, and uh, you know now people study him. He's like a case study. Uh, people, you know, like so many people have emulated him. Like like you mentioned all those other guys, but like Doug Stanhope kind of took that yeah. that 
torch and run ran with it for a while and uh, all these kind of truth tellers and these you know these these guys that don't really stand on either side i guess right in the middle telling you what's what nationalism does nothing but teach you how to hate people that you never met and all of a sudden you take pride in accomplishments you had no part in whatsoever and you brag about you know. <laughs> everybody sucks and here's why right exactly <laughs> and it's the hypocrisy that they point out and uh bill hicks was a master of it and and like you said people who aren't familiar with bill hicks watching this you should really just youtube them watch some of his stuff it's, it still holds up today it's still funny like when you listen to, to like somebody like um when you talk about mort saul or lenny bruce who kind of paved the way and set the set it up for bill hicks mm -hmm. th th their stuff you have to put yourself in a 50s mindset to find time capsule yeah right to be for it to be funny but like if i was in the 50s yeah this is edgy or this is funny or this is that. but with hicks it still holds you don't need to think about yourself in the 80s to to uh, for it to be funny we have figured it out go back to bed america your government has figured out how it all transpired go back to bed america your government is in control again here here's american gladiators watch this shut up go back to bed america here is american gladiators here is 56 channels of it Watch these pituary retards bang their fucking skulls together and congratulate you on living in the land of freedom. Here you go, America. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. Who's your number one? Okay, so uh, this was tough, man, like we said. There's so many comedians. Uh, we're talking about one of the greatest decades for, of stand-up. So many comedians. And you know you do have your ones that, that change the game a lot, uh, Roseanne bars and stuff like that. But um, for me, uh, and even Dice was an honorable mention of mine, who was man, in and out of my list, off and on my list, because he he just meant so much um, when I was growing up. Obviously, I'm like right in his demographic <laughs> as a teenager yeah. growing up. But um, but this guy, um, we mentioned you mentioned him earlier. Um, it's Eddie Murphy. So to, to me, Eddie Murphy, he he basically took all of his heroes and rolled them up into a, a leather jacket, a red leather jacket, <laughs> and uh, and the rest was history. He he made comedy cool, he made uh, comedy edgy, uh, yeah. he made comedy sexy in a way. He was like a heartthrob and all that stuff, and uh, his material kind of ran the gamut from like uh, some personal, some observational. He also teetered with politics and race and uh, homophobia and, and all these things. And he was just, um, you know, it, his whole set was just, you know, for a young guy, it's just, you know, the cursing and all that. It was edgy. And uh, to me, Eddie, he took what Richard Pryor did it and just kind of put it on, you know, put a little uh, extra gas on the, on the uh, you know, in the car there and just, just took it off.
and I think to this day he inspired so many people that 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 Eddie Murphy thing. People, young kids today are still inspired by Eddie. You know, I, I will tell you the um, the worst thing about the pandemic was he canceled Eddie's return to stand up. I really think when I get on the stage and I start doing whatever it is that I'm going to be doing. I can't see myself ruffling any feathers because I'm going to be talking about stuff that's in, about my life and what I've been doing over the last 30 years. I'm going to be talking. You, you get into trouble when you start talking about people, and, and, and <laughs> but I'm talking about me. There's no trouble to get in because my show is going to be all about me and how I see things and how I felt about something. Yes, that, true. That is literally the biggest, you know, like, fuck me. I wanted to see that. Yeah, I agree. He was all gassed up and ready to do it. He had a great interview with um, Jerry on that um, Comedians yeah. in Cars, where he was basically saying that he's going to hit the clubs and do it again. And I was hoping he'd be like at the cellar or something like that and just kind of working it out. Now, do you, have you gotten to know Eddie through the years in his young I, days? I met him. I didn't know him back then. He was a superstar when I started, you know. So when he came into the club, you were ushered away. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but he and I, uh, his old manager eventually became my manager. And I'm very good with was till he passed away with Richie Tinkin, owner of the counter strip. So, oh, yeah. you know, we, I got introduced a couple of times and always cordial. Shy, painfully shy, just painfully, painfully shy, which is you know unexpected. Um, but he also, and, and this is another thing that I really like. He take he took care of comics. He took care of the guys around him. Yep. You know, and that was that was kind of important. You know, I, I'll be reaching back and takes care of Bob a little bit, but you know, yeah, he he took care of the guys around him, which is always nice. Uh, right and and he he's you know i'm sure you know if i sat down and had long conversations with him probably got a bit more of an ego than than not because unlike most of the other guys on the list their successes happened in the 30s when they had to work for it for a decade his was at 19. i, I want to say something to people too i am 19 years old i have been black for 19 years on this earth <laughs> Okay, and I have been watching a show called The Little Rascals for about 16 years. And all of my dealings with blacks, been living in a black neighborhood all my life, I have yet to meet a nigga named Buckwheat. I can't imagine. I remember what an asshole I was at 19. Had I have gotten stardom at 19, holy shit. Yeah, I, I'd be dead by now. You'd have found me. You'd have found me in a hooker's vagina with an eight ball up my nose. I had just been... <laughs> Awful, just uh, awful. <laughs> uh, same here, man. That's great. Yeah, Eddie. Uh, like a lot of people don't know when Eddie first started. Him, Bob Nelson, Rob uh, uh, Bart Bartlett. Am I saying the that right? Triplets, yeah, Rob the Bartlett. Bartlett, the identical triplets, man. And and uh, they were a comedy trio doing their thing. That they did it where at the uh, the Eastside Comedy Club and also uh, before that the White House. Or? The White House. 
Yeah. Yeah. So but Richard M. Dixon's White House. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that's where Eddie kind of what cut his teeth there with those guys. Yeah. And then, like you said, at a young age, 19 years old, he just broke. What What? What was he, at 19 or 20 when he got an SNL? He was still I young. He huh? got the offer at 19 and he got on at 20. Wow. So, yeah, this is a guy that's been superstar his entire life, pretty much. Yeah. And, and uh, he's still, I mean, he's just nominated for, like, all those, like, I think an Oscar for that Netflix film he did. So yeah. he's still doing it, still relevant, still funny, and I hope he comes back and hits the stand up again because that would I be really a great way. That. that would be so great. Yeah. Did you did you see when he got an award? I think it was the Mark Twain Award, and he did a little Bill Cosby and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to talk to some of the people who feel <laughs> that I should give back my. I remember that for you vividly, you know, and I remember, you know, him standing at the bar, you know, telling his manager at the time, I can't believe this motherfucker said this about me, you know, <laughs> and, and just and the, the Richard Pryor joke he did about it was just perfect. Yeah, yes, that's so great, so great. Do the people laugh when you say what you say? I said, yes. He said, do you get paid? I said, yes. He said, well, tell Bill. I said, have a coat and a smile and shut the fuck up. All right, so we have our, our both of our fives now. Now is the hard part. Now we got to merge these into a final top five. So here, I'll go through them again and um, start thinking about who you would want to put into the top five and which ones you would want, you would consider removing. Now, this is never the easy part, but here we go. So we got Paula Poundstone and Judy Tenuta, Rick Aviles and Barry Sobel, Charlie Barnett and Bob Nelson, Sam Kinison, Jerry Seinfeld, and Bill Hicks, and Eddie Murphy. Okay, we got a lot of legends there, in the, right there in the top, uh, from the, our, our number threes to our number ones are, are all legends. Um, I, I think we have to take both of our number ones and both of our number twos. I think, I, I, I think you can't argue that Seinfeld and Murphy belonged on the list. You know, and maybe my criteria was a little skewed. And uh, I don't think you can argue that Hicks and Kennison belong on the list. I think those guys belong on the list as well. So I, I, I think that's four. I think we're, we're six people are vying for one spot. <laughs> I agree because you got Hicks, Murphy, Kennison, and Seinfeld. Th there you go. That's four. I agree with you totally. So, so now, like you said, here we go. It's, um, it's uh, between uh, Charlie Barnett, Bob Nelson, uh, Barry Sobel, Rick Aviles, Judy Tanuna, and Paula Poundstone. So, woof, this is tough. I, I think, you know, I, I hate to say it, but Rick, Charlie, and Bob, as wonderful as they are, are all a little too obscure to probably crack this top five. I agree. Even Barry Sobel might be a little... He might be a little bit too but but his impact is maybe keeps him on the list a little longer than the other three right okay, um so. but i i think it really comes down to do you want paula do you want judy you know i i think it really comes down to those two and that's a tough decision too between judy and paula poundstone because they're they're both they're different from each other and they're yeah. both impactful and he, 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 I'm trying to break it down, like, who is the better writer of the two? I, I would say writing, that's a tough one, too, because 
Judy, they're different styles, but Paula, you could say if they, if you put their jokes on paper, Paula's might be more more clever. Yeah. Where Judy's is more like you know, you know, spit that gum at you, you, you know, you stupid man, whatever she would say. And they both do things that hadn't been done before. Extreme character, you know. Uh, you could argue that that was done with a mom's Mabley or some of the other extreme characters of women beforehand. Um, no, no woman had ever done the surrealistic stuff, you know, type of material before. Um, you could almost toss a coin or what day of the week is it? Give it to one of them month, Monday, <laughs> Wednesday, and Friday, and the other Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and <laughs> Sunday, give them both off and maybe throw Barry in there. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you though, looking at, looking at them all, uh, my, my gut just tells me to go with, just because I'm looking at the list and she just seems like she fits in there. It's Paula Poundstone. I, I just yeah. feel like she's the right way to go. I wouldn't argue with that at all. I think it'd be pretty good. So, you know? yeah. We, and, and here's the whole thing. If we look at the five that we left out, they probably have a better show than the five we put in. <laughs> I know, right? So, all right. So sometimes uh, it depends on the, the guest if you want to put the five in order. Or if yeah, it met, met, I, yeah. I, I think we absolutely can. You know, if you look at it, I think you also have to look at the context of time, and I think you have to look at the context of, of impact. Um, I don't think you can deny that. You know, because this list is eighty specific, it's Eddie. If it were, you know, beyond eighty specific, you know, you could argue that Jerry should be number one. Um, but definitely Eddie gets it for just his impact in the 1980s. There was nobody on that list who had a bigger impact in pop culture or comedy in the 1980s. That's true. After, after that, you can make a really good case for Seinfeld to be number two, although I think his impact comes more in the 90s. Uh, I would argue that Hicks should be the firm number two on that one, just because with... with he was relevant in the 80s and he became more relevant as time went on and we didn't realize how evergreen his material was and so that's probably why i would put him as a number two i um, agree with that i agree with that totally you and know then yes i agree eddie murphy bill hicks and then just because of what you said about seinfeld and i agree with that i think that pushes seinfeld to me down to like four yeah. Right? And then yeah. I'm thinking yeah. Poundstone at five. Yeah, and then Sam is number three. And then Sam is three. Which any of these people on any other list would all be the, their own number ones because they're it, all uh, it, amazing. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you're looking at five of the top 100 people of all time. Five of the top 100 funniest people of all time. <laughs> right, exactly. You know what I mean? That, that's there. There's no denying that. But wow. it's a it's an amazing list, you know. Uh, well, Jim, thanks again. We got a great. This is a great list, man. We got Eddie Murphy, Bill Hicks, Sam Kinison, Jerry Seinfeld, and Paula Poundstone as our top five for the yep. '80s boom comedians. Thanks, Jim. This is great, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yes, I appreciate it. Well, there you have it, everybody. That's the top five 80s comedians that me and Jim Mandrinos came up with. Hope you like it. Let us know your thoughts in the, the comments below and your top five and who we missed. It's a big decade. One of the greatest decades of stand-up comedy, so I'm sure we missed a few guys here and there. 
to leave that below in the comments. And as always, everybody, we'll see you next week.